The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. We have my esteemed host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg here, and we are your leadership development coaches. And between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. That's our goal, to help you, help your team perform in the top 10%. And so we always like to bring you people who can help you do that, tips, tools, maybe new ways of looking at things. And today we have Dr. Ben Dadner. He has a new book. It's called The Blame Game. I met uh, Ben years ago. Uh, he's a psychologist, and I met him at a couple of different associations and, and have really been following his work for quite a while. And so let me tell you a little bit about Ben. So Ben is a Ph.D. He's an organizational psychologist, and he's the founder of Datner, his last name, Consulting. It's a workplace consulting firm based in New York City, and he has helped uh, a wide variety of corporate and nonprofit organizations sort through this idea of credit and blame. We'll get a lot more into that. These are issues that help you become more successful. Ben's consulting services enable organizations to make better hiring and staffing decisions, also to enhance the professional capabilities of managers and employees, and to configure teams to be more effectively, and also to reduce the amount of interpersonal and intergroup conflict. And in part, by embracing this candor and this accuracy when it comes to how do you handle credit and how do you handle blame. So his new book, The Blame Game, just came out this year. You get the book at the website www.credit, and and the and is spelled out, blame.com. Or if you're interested in, in Ben's work, it's www.datner, D-A-T-T-N-E-R, consulting.com. And so, Kathy, welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Relly. It's a pleasure to be here, and we are so excited. I know I am to talk to Ben some more about his book. I found it very intriguing, and a lot of the concepts in there make perfect sense, especially to somebody who's a behavioral scientist, and you've said some nice things about me. I want to make sure that our audience is also familiar with you. And for those of you who don't know my esteemed host, Dr. Relly Nadler, he is a master-level certified executive coach, psychologist, corporate leadership and team trainer. And Dr. Nadler brings his legendary expertise in emotional intelligence to all of his keynotes, consulting, his coaching, and his development programs. And I don't know if you realize this, but Dr. Nadler's newest top-ranked book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, provides hundreds of tools and strategies to develop star performers across industries, and that means improving your own performance as well, just by reading his book. 
His highly respected work is the focus of countless business journals, blogs, and online news features. And, of course, his programs have become a mainstay at leading Fortune 500 companies. And you can visit Relly at truenorthleadership.com for free downloads like his new iPhone app with videos on leadership keys to access your best performance through emotional intelligence. So I think we're all here, and I want to get started. But I know before we do that, Relly, I want to make sure everybody knows why we do Leadership Development News and, and why in today's challenging economic times it's even more important than ever before that we focus on leadership. Okay, Kath, I, I would be glad to do that. But also just let me first say a word about you, because some of the folks may not know who you are. Dr. Kath Greenberg coaches leading executives and entire companies, and she has this method called Happiness Equals Profit Work-Life Strategies. She's been named the First Lady of Happiness by ABC TV. And Dr. Kathy Greenberg has authored multiple popular books on the science of happiness, including What Happy Companies Know and her latest number one bestseller, What Happy Working Mothers Know. She touches millions as a much-in-demand speaker, TV, radio, and media personality. And she has a consultancy called H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, where Kathy actively supports research on the subject while offering friendly tips and tools to be your best at work and at home and ABC's Morning Blend. And she also has a web TV show called Your Happiness Now. Her website is, is www.h2cleadership, where there's a ton of free downloads and things to access your true talents and life satisfaction. Oh, so thank Kathy, you, Riley. <laughs> well, Kathy, normally we would do that. I wanted to make sure we got that in. But let me just say a little bit to answer your question then. Why leadership development? Why are we interviewing uh, Ben Datner, who works with organizations uh, day in and day out? Well, 40% of organizations today say they're experiencing a significant gap in the number of skilled and trained leaders available for new job opportunities. And the reason is we like to call this there's a brain drain. There's a couple of converging things that are happening. And one is we've lost 8 million jobs because of the Great Recession. Number two, we have these retiring baby boomers who are, who are leaving all, to the tune of about 10 million folks leaving the job uh, market. And the people who are filling that, Gen X, Gen Ys, have been known to have a little less emotional intelligence because of the hours in front of a screen, be it a computer or your phone. And so the good news is there's plenty of solutions to help, and some we're going to pick Ben's brain. But, Kathy, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, the happiness set point. Well, you know, there is a set point, which is a – it's kind of like a genetic predisposition, much like body weight and eye color, hair color. You know, we can change those things to a certain degree, right? We can um, – we can get on diets. We can lose weight. We can gain weight. We can actually use contact lenses to change the colors of our eyes. And we can use hair dye, right, to change hair color. But those things have their limits. And a set point is very much the same. We can call ourselves a glass half empty or a glass half full, and we work the other 50% from that, if you will, set point. And one of the things that uh, I have found in my own research and others uh, have written about is that happiness, you know, isn't just a 50% one way or the other. You know, the 50% that we can actually make changes to uh, can be uh, divided into very separate categories. You know, 10% 
is situation. Those are things we really don't have a lot of control over. You know, we can't control the economy. We can't control the rates of mortgages or the price of gas. Sometimes we can't even control, you know, how we get to work in the morning. <laughs> Flat tire, the, the trains aren't running. But, you know, we do have a lot of control and a lot of choice over the behaviors and the choices we make. And that's the 40% that we can really influence in our lives. So, you know, there is a 93% correlation between happiness and job satisfaction and life satisfaction and career satisfaction. So when, when we increase our happiness set point, and we move from being a glass half empty to a glass half full, which is really my story, we can, in fact, improve our lives significantly. And um, hopefully those who are listening to the show uh, today are going to learn a lot about that from Ben and his book. And um, I can't wait to get started, to be honest with you. All right, great. So let me just say a couple words uh, just around the evidence-based practices that we know about. Uh, Ben's going to help us here that leaders are the emotional thermostat for the team. And we like to say that because emotions are contagious. So who's the most contagious person is the leader. And the idea is how do you get more people into the top 10%? So let me say a little bit more about about Ben because I think this idea of credit and blame, a leader can really influence what's going on in the organization and how do we deal with both credit and blame. So aside from what I said earlier, Ben is an adjunct professor at at NYU, where he teaches organizational development and industrial psychology in the MA program and in the Graduate School of Arts and Science. He's taught strategic career management in the Executive MBA program at Stern Business School. He's received a BA in psychology from Harvard, an MA and PhD in industrial and organizational psychology from NYU. And there he was the McCracken Fellow and his doctoral dissertation analyzed the relationship between narcissism and fairness in the workplace. His master's thesis examined the impact of trust on negotiation. So we have someone who's very well-researched, well-educated here, and then is a member of the Society of Industrial and Organizational Psychology and also the Society of Consulting Psychology Division 13, where I've met Ben numerous times in the past and also APA, American Psychological Association. But before graduate school, it sounds like in between his uh, BA and and then going back to graduate school, he worked at the Republic National Bank in New York for three years, first as a management trainee and then as an assistant to the CEO. So after graduate school, he was also the director of human resources at Blink.com before founding Datner Consulting. So he's not only worked in a university, he's got real-world uh, experience. And so, Ben, one of the things that we like to do, so welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be with you both. We always like to just start, talk off, uh, start off, get a little bit of an idea of who's been most influential in your life in regards to leadership. Well, Richard Hackman was my undergraduate mentor, and when I was a junior in college, I took his course which met at 8.30 in the morning because he wanted to be sure that everybody uh, was super motivated to be there. And for an undergraduate to get up at 8.30 in the morning was quite a feat. But uh, he really taught me about teams and about leadership and has been a real inspiration to me throughout my career. Well, you know, it's always gratifying to hear people talk about, you know, who they have been inspired by. And, and you know, Ben, it's obvious there are going to be a lot of people talking about you because having just read the book once, and I usually read a book a couple times, I have to tell you, your book is very, very inspiring. So let me ask you this question. When you work with clients, how do you 
How do you introduce this concept? What is the main thrust of your work? The main thrust of my work is that credit and blame and the dynamics of attribution is really the crucible of organizational behavior, whether it's for individuals, relationships, or teams. It really doesn't matter. When you look at the social psychology of the workplace, people's uh, focus is really about credit and blame, who's getting credited, who's getting blamed, and how people react to credit and blame from others, how they assign it to others, is really a key ingredient of individual leadership success, whether teams and organizations look forward and solve problems, or really get mired in finger-pointing and politics. So then this is a great place for us to stop. I know it's short. We just got you on, but we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back into really the, the, most, the rest of the hour is going to be the thrust of kind of why did you write the book and, and so why does it matter and, and more specifically around this attribution. So this is Leadership Development News and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. 
We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're having an engaging conversation with uh, Ben Datner talking about his book, The Blame Game. So let's get back to uh, kind of the foundation for the book, Ben. How did you get the idea for writing a book about credit and blame? I had one client seven years ago whom I'll call Dana because I tell her story uh, in the book, in the blame game. And she works at a hedge fund. At the time, she had a credit-stealing, blame-casting boss. And so Dana came to see me on her own initiative. Usually I'm hired by companies and organizations to coach individuals or to work with teams. But in this case, she sponsored the work, uh, our work together herself. And over the course of working together for several months, credit and blame were really at the heart of what was going on there. She was an investment analyst, and her boss was the portfolio manager. And when Dana would make a recommendation, her boss would steal credit if the investment went up, but blame her for it if the investment went down. And as our, as we our work together progressed, I realized that her challenges and her opportunities were really quite universal in the workplace, even though a hedge fund is unlike other workplaces. The basic issues of personality, trust, uh, communication, and relationships was really quite universal. You know, it's funny how you um, make it so simple. One of the things that you write about in your book, which I found um, quite enlightening and very humorous, were the six phases of a project. I think you had enthusiasm, disillusionment, panic, search for the guilty, punishment of the innocent, and rewards for the uninvolved. I thought that was fabulous. <laughs> yeah, and as I, as I wrote, I've studied many formal academic models of teams and team development, but I have yet to come, a come, come across one that's as accurate and apropos as that one. Yeah, very nice. Well, I think the other thing, uh, Ben, that you're saying, I think there's also interesting in your book. You know, all three of us are writers. We have books. But we learn so much from our clients. And in your book, you said how you, you saw that on someone's cubicle. Yeah. Yep, a coworker at Republic National Bank. Interesting. So, um, to say a little more at this point. You know, why do, why does credit and blame really matter? And then that'll lead us into kind of maybe why this topic you know you think is so timely now. Credit and blame are really at the very heart of organizational psychology uh, because they help determine whether we as individuals learn and grow in our careers, or instead whether we may derail. And at the team level, credit and blame determine whether teams take an open-minded approach to their challenges or, as is too often the case, succumb to the temptation to scapegoat and blame. It even rolls up to entire organizations. Uh, Sometimes organizations have trust and uh, cultures of trust and problem-solving, but unfortunately, all too often, organizational cultures really involve so much waste of time and effort on dysfunctional finger-pointing. And because I'm an organizational psychologist, I've noticed every time I'm working with a client or a client organization, credit and blame are really what everybody's focused on. And so my role as a consultant and coach is to help individuals, teams, and organizations reconsider their understanding of credit and blame so they can stop negative cycles and and really create positive cycles of trust and collaboration. Yeah, and wouldn't that be a great place to work, right? 
unfortunately, Ben, you and I both know, as does Relly, from all of our experience as both executive coaches and academics to some degree, that um, you know, getting credit and taking blame are the first things we learn what you know, how to do and how not to do. I guess in, in corporate America and, and also in you know our, I want to say in our, our teaching realms, because we know we'll lose students, right, if we don't do the things that that make people feel good about coming to class. I mean, you were saying this professor that you had wanted to make sure he had dedicated students at 8.30 in the morning. So there's a lot of psychology around this. So let me ask you this question. In your book, you write about the self-serving bias and the, the ultimate thing, which we call attribution error. What are these things, and how do they show up in organizations? So the self-serving bias is our tendency to take more credit upon ourselves uh, and to cast blame upon others. So we want to see ourselves in a positive light. So if we do well, uh, for example, on a task, it's because we're talented. If our coworkers do well, it's because it was an easy task. Uh, and if we don't do well, it's because circumstances conspired against us. But if other people don't do well, it's because they didn't expend enough effort or because they have insufficient talent. So when you look at success versus failure for ourselves versus others, we really see the world through self-serving biases, through tinted lenses that make ourselves look more favorable and others look worse. And this is really quite universal. The ultimate attribution error is when we ascribe someone's behavior or their intentions to their group membership uh, instead of to their actual character or, or efforts uh, or talent. So an example of this might be where we say everybody in accounting is lazy uh, and everybody in marketing is talented because we work in, a, in marketing and they work in accounting. And therefore, whether it's the same idea uh, or a different idea, if somebody in marketing offers an idea, we're going to say that's really, that's really helpful and compelling. But if somebody in accounting offers it, we're going to hold that to a different standard. So the ultimate attribution error is really analogous to the self-serving bias, but it's for our group rather than for ourselves. And so just to kind of define this, because we're having a fun time, you know, with these terms, but attribution is really kind of how do you make sense of what's going on? You know, are you, where are you attributing? What you, how are you saying uh, what's, what's right or wrong? And how are you kind of making sense of the situation? And all of us do that. We make it, it's an assumption that we often make, and, and like you're saying, we may attribute it in an inaccurate way. That's right, and in a self-serving way. And there's also the fundamental attribution error described in the book, which is about how we over-ascribe things, outcomes and results, to people's dispositions and to internal characteristics rather than to situational things. So if somebody's having a hard time in their job, we're more likely to say that person lacks talent or motivation or skill rather than they're really in a tough situation and then the economy's bad and they don't have the resources or support they need to be successful. So, so let me ask you, Ben, because, you know, I think we all, we all understand this, but why, why do you think that happens? Why would someone uh, ascribe success more to themselves and, then, and their internal effort and ability and then these external efforts uh, or attributions to others? Well, part of it is informational and part of it's motivational. Informationally, we have a lot more information about the efforts that we are expending than, that, than the efforts that others are expending. So we have more information about ourselves than others. But also, we're motivated to see ourselves in a positive light, to see ourselves as above average, to see ourselves as, as more moral, as more attractive, as more intelligent than others. 
that's just part of the way evolution wired all of us. Uh-huh. And so if everybody thinks they're above average, that's why the workplace can get so clicky and so, so much like a high school seventh grade class. So one of the ways I would think, Ben, that we can overcome some of this for our listeners is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is recognizing that our mental maps do have some pre-programming in them, and right. that increases the chances that, that we you know, can learn to navigate the workplace in a new way. So you can actually help us in this book by questioning our assumptions and monitoring our behavior to make sure we're reacting or acting in a way that's more appropriate. That's exactly right. It's, uh, the book is about how nature hardwired us to see the world through, through a pre-existing framework, through human evolution, and also how our families and our cultures wire us in a certain way during our own development. And so each day we bring to work the legacy of, of hundreds of thousands of years of primate and human evolution, but also some of the assumptions that might have made sense in our home family environment but really are not applicable in the culture of the contemporary workplace. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Ben, that I see in the work that I do, and it's such a primitive defense uh, that happens, and I think in, in organizations there's so much going on, there's so much complexity and glo- you know globality, um, different languages, new systems, that if there's a problem, quickly what the problem is becomes who's the problem. And so it's kind of a play on words, but I always look at that, and there's so much more complexity, but people go for kind of the most dumbed-down uh, answer to the problem. So what the problem quickly becomes who's the problem. That's exactly right, that we're all, we are what's known as cognitive misers, which is processing is is expensive and energy-consuming, so most of us would rather process less rather than process more. That's great. I I, I don't think I've heard that term. Cognitive, what'd you say? Misers. Misers. And we don't want to spend that much energy, so we, we go for the simplest, which may not be accurate at all, but it's simple and quick. That's right. It's like the drunk guy who's looking for his keys under the lamppost, and his friend says, you didn't drop your keys over here. Why are you looking here? And the drunk guy says, well, the light is better. Yeah. Well, you know, this brings us to one of the other things that you elucidate beautifully well or you put under the uh, looking glass for us. And, And these are the, I think you call them the three categories of credit and blame types. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just to make sure we're on the same uh, page here, Ben, I'm going to just say them, and you can give them in whatever order you feel is most appropriate, okay? Sure. Um, the first one you call extra punitive. Uh, the second one, impunitive. And the third, intropunitive. So maybe you can explain a little bit about these and give us perhaps an example um, of one you may have experienced that, that you feel um, passionate about that helps our audience really understand what these mean. Sure. And another thing your listeners might be interested in is in the April 2011 issue of Harvard Business Review, I co-authored an article with Robert Hogan of Hogan Assessment Systems called Can You Handle Failure, in which we went into a lot of detail about these three dysfunctional categories uh, and some of the types that fall within them. And so essentially, each one of these is dysfunctional in its own way. If you're If you're extra punitive, you're likely to blame people, other people, too often and too harshly. If you're impunitive, you're either likely to deny that something blameworthy happened and or deny your own role in that blameworthy outcome. And intrapunitive is where you really beat up on yourself, where you you blame yourself excessively uh, and don't see things in their proper context. 
So this is great. We're going to we'll maybe get more into this and kind of get an example. Extrapunitive, impunitive, intrapunitive. We're going to go to our, our next break. We're talking with Dr. Ben Datner, and Datner Consulting is where you can uh, find out a little bit more of his work and his book that we're talking about now is The Blame Game. So this is Leadership Development News, and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better what do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately how do you delegate effectively how do you develop strong relationships across the organization emotional intelligence training coaching books and tools by dr nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back 
to Leadership Development News. We're talking to Ben Datner. He is the author of a terrific book, which I'm really enjoying, called The Blame Game. And when we went to break, uh, Ben, you were talking about the three categories of credit and blame types, um, extra-punitive, impunitive, and intrapunitive. And one of the things that I think I want to share um, to make everybody happy they love a free tip or a tool, um, is your website called creditandblame.com. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, so anybody who's out there, you can go to creditandblame.com, and you can take Ben's proprietary assessment on categories of credit and blame types. And not only that, Ben, but you also give them the subcategories that help them understand a little bit more about perhaps why they do what they do. That's right. Oh, could you just talk a little bit about that real quick? Sure. So underneath these three categories are 11 different dysfunctional types. So I'll give you an example of one from each category. So under the extra punitive type, which again is people who blame others too often or too harshly, we have the leisurely type, or we could also call that kind of person a rationalizing blamer. And this is the kind of person who really blames other people. Whenever he or she can't complete a task or achieve a goal, instead of taking personal responsibility, they say, someone else set me up for failure. They didn't give me the information I needed. They didn't give me the resources or the, uh, or the support that I needed in order to be successful. In terms of impunitive, we have the bold type, the big person on campus. Uh, and this is someone who is, it's all about them. So if things go wrong, they don't know what went wrong. They, don't, they deny that anything went wrong. And if you follow up and, and really push on them, they will say, well, maybe something went wrong, but it wasn't my fault. And in terms of the intrapunitive category, uh, a micromanager would be an example of this. This is somebody who, even though they might be in your face micromanaging things, it's likely that he or she is actually quite self-critical and is a perfectionist and blames themselves uh, if anything goes wrong, and therefore they're going to micromanage your work just to make sure that they don't get blamed. Well, I have to tell you, that is well said and well done, and for a very brief period of time I've learned a lot already. All right, I'm sure you're all kind of thinking of folks uh, about that. So the impunitive, that's where they just don't think they have any blame at all. So they're not they're not externalizing, but they're, they're all, it sounded like at least from the one example you gave, they're almost oblivious to it. That's right. And in the Harvard Business Review article from April, Robert Hogan and I talk about uh, Tony Hayward, who was known as Teflon Tony at British Petroleum long before the oil spill. Mm. Interesting. I found the description of the the person who is, um, you know, impunitive also to be perhaps the leader who becomes what you call in your book um, uh, kind of threat rigid, a person who's termed threat, you know, uh, a threat rigidity type. That's right. Uh, these are the people who are threatened and become rigid in their thinking and behavior, and as a result, everybody around them becomes the same. So this gentleman that you're speaking about um, obviously had a, a great influence over a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Threat rigidity effects actually can affect anyone. Um, we can all become more rigid in our thinking uh, and more black and white in how we assign credit and blame to ourselves and others if we're under stress. And as Relly was saying earlier, it's quite a stressful time in the workplace these days, so you're seeing a lot of these dynamics now, maybe even more than ever before. Yeah, I think one of the things that you state beautifully is um, what seems to us to be traits may actually be the symptoms of people in an unfortunate state. That's right. Right. One of the other things just is that I, I see a lot, and I'm sure that uh, 
both of you do too, is this intrapunitive and in coaching, um, dealing with folks who often are everything is their fault and they're blaming themselves. And you know, and I think in, in this world where things are so fast and, and furious. And there's never enough time to do any, do things well, and they all they take that internally, and many times inaccurately, blaming themselves, and it's kind of this internal dialogue of blaming themselves, blaming themselves, which we all do to a certain extent, and then it can become externalized that they end up blaming others, the same way. So that is an interesting thing, at least I find, when someone is is that uh, intrapunitive it sometimes then spills out because it's the same conversation, you know, blaming themselves, then someone else comes in the world and they end up blaming them. That's absolutely right. And it's actually um, well said because it, it's very complex. And, in fact, some of the times when people are blaming others so harshly, it's because they're so afraid of blaming themselves. Yeah. And there's a link to both depression and to gender. Men tend to be more extrapunitive or impunitive, and women tend to be more intrapunitive. Right. And this may be one of the reasons why depression is more prevalent among women yeah. than among men, because self-blaming is inextricably linked to depression. Yeah. Let me ask you just one quick follow-up on this, and then we'll get to the other aspects. So, what, so I know you do coaching and you work with folks in organizations. What do you do? Let's say you found someone who is intrapunitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what, are there some ways to kind of help someone, you know, to get out of that? Is it just yeah. awareness? In the Harvard article, we talk about uh, a scientist who we'll call Wendy, who was very intrapunitive. There was a failed uh, drug application for a new use of an existing drug. Uh, Wendy was the chief statistician, and she blamed herself. Uh, for the failed FDA application. And over the course of our work with her, what we really encouraged her to do was to take a broader perspective, was to look at the organizational system, was to look at all the ingredients of the failure, was to look at all the contributions she herself had made, to think about different scenarios. And as we worked with her over time, she really did come to see it differently. It was almost like a kind of workplace-focused, career-focused cognitive Uh behavioral therapy that was successful and getting her to reframe what had happened. You know, let me just say one more thing, Catherine. I know you have a question. Um, you know, we're all in the business trying to influence people, and this idea of how do you evaluate yourself, it's like uh, often I'll, I'll tell someone, it's like we have a, ca- a calculator, and after every time you evaluate something, you, you punch the numbers into the calculator, and it always comes off one digit less than you think. You think it should be 1,000, it comes up 100. And, and we go with that result, we never think that, that the way we evaluate ourselves or in this metaphor that the calculator is broken. And I think some of your work that you're probably doing is giving them some data to say, is that calculator, how we assess ourselves, is it really accurate? Right. I also use the analogy in the book of an optical illusion. We all know the two lines that are the same length, but one of them has arrows pointing inwards and the other one has pointing outwards outwards, and the line of the same length with the arrows pointing outwards looks longer than the other one simply because it's an optical illusion. And the same thing is true of our efforts versus others. We look at it uh, in the light of day, and it really looks like we're doing more than they are, even though we might be putting in exactly the same effort. You know, Ben, I'm looking um, at your book. Um, I've been carrying it around with me, reading pieces of it over the last couple of weeks, and as I said, I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, Annie McKee, uh, obviously uh, one of the co-authors of Primal Leadership um, with uh, Daniel Goleman, who was on our show a few weeks ago, um, 
Annie says that the book is packed full of intriguing and all too familiar stories based on you know the foundations of, of well-established theories and research. And I want to ask you a quick question. You know, how how does somebody who's reading the book um, and sees these types and takes the inventory? How do they put this? How do they start putting together these balanced descriptions with with prescriptions, as you'd like to say? Well, self-knowledge is really important, and really this gets back to the emotional intelligence that we've worked to the kind of stuff we've done and studied uh, previously, which is it's really about knowing yourself, knowing others, being able to successfully control your own impulses, act in a mature, leaderly, confident kind of way, and also successfully influence others. So when it comes to credit and blame, it really is analogous to emotional intelligence. So knowing yourself and your own, how you tend to give credit and blame, how you tend to react to credit and blame to yourself, from yourself, and how that has been functional or dysfunctional over the course of your career. And then you think, what might I do differently? How might I take more blame on myself in sort of small homeopathic doses so that I can avoid greater blame down the road? And how might I share more? What are my assumptions, my templates, my mental scripts? about sharing credit and why am I reluctant to share credit? And maybe I haven't been optimizing. Maybe I've been sub-optimizing. Maybe I've been hoarding too much credit uh, and casting too much blame. And even though doing so to be self-serving is tempting in the short term, it's really not helping over the long term. Well, this is great, Ben. So tell me uh, a little bit about the credit side. I mean, we'll get back into some of the blame stuff. But I know your work then, you know, really – corresponds with other folks that we've interviewed around the positive psychology. And, you know, we all know we probably never get uh, enough credit, you know, and Barbara Fred- Fredrickson's work, you know, that ideally in organizations you should have a three-to-one positive to negative ratio. Um, so what are, what are some ways that people can kind of up that ratio? Is it is it from taking the assessment and better understanding kind of where they're at with credit and blame? Well, Kathy was mentioning before about students and, and everybody expecting a gold star, and there's some generational aspects to that as well. Some people, like the Wall Street Journal, for example, have called the millennials the most praised generation, where they expect credit. They expect everyone deserves credit, regardless of their actual efforts or contributions or how hard they're working. And so in, in organizations, you have to think about credit. How do you use positive reinforcement? But how do you make sure that there's not too much positivity to the point where real organizational weaknesses can't be candidly disclosed and discussed? Well, you know, that's why the, the three-to-one ratio, at least, that Fredrickson has. So, and someone, like you're saying, from the millennials, they may want three-to-zero, that you've got to be able to come up with, you know, what is not working, but then very, very, very specific about that. And so let's come back and we'll talk a little bit maybe more about that and then this concept of, of groupthink that people have heard about, but maybe you can help us uh, unpack that a little bit. And this is Leadership Development News, and we'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. 
Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic plays to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. Hopefully, you've been tuning in to tune up your leadership. We've been talking to Ben Datner about his terrific book, The Blame Game. You know, before we went to uh, our break, Ben, we were talking about uh, how we can apply some of the things that you are teaching us in this book, which is a fabulous read. I'm wondering if you can discuss a little bit about groupthink. You know, how how does um, the impact of credit or blame kind of get passed into the culture or into the climate through groupthink? Well, groupthink is really when a group stops thinking, when it develops a unitary view, when it stifles dissent, when it starts seeing things in black and white terms and becomes very self-serving so the group can do no wrong, the group is invulnerable, and people who are outside of the group are enemies who need to be destroyed or eliminated. And so groupthink can really be problematic when it comes to credit and blame because anybody who speaks up and tries to challenge the group consensus, who tries to get the group to think in terms of gray and shades of nuance rather than in sort of dichotomous black and white terms, can be scapegoated and can be blamed for speaking up. So what good groups do is they institutionalize candor, debate, and dissent. For example, by having a devil's advocate who's charged with arguing against the prevailing wisdom just to get the group to really not wear blinders and not become mindless. 
Well, I like that. Uh, I like it because it promotes diversity of style. It promotes diversity of thinking. And I think when you take advantage of all the different approaches someone or some group can take to whatever it is you're working on, you know, you're going to get an increase in credit and I think a, a decrease in blame. That's at least how it feels to me. Sometimes taking a short-term uh, getting accepting more blame and even soliciting blame in the short term can be a way of reducing blame substantially down the road. Yeah, I like that. I always say breakdowns lead to breakthroughs. <laughs> right. That's great. The other thing I liked what you said in group think is people stop thinking. They just go along with whatever everybody else is thinking. So that's a great. Yeah, that, that's the first time I've used it, uh, heard it used that way, Ben, so that, thanks for uh, sharing that and for clarifying it. You're giving Kathy and I a lot, of, a lot of new information and some uh, tools that we'll pass on. So let's talk about some of the practical applications of your book. You have a chapter in the back that really talks about that. And so what could an individual do and then maybe what could a leader do to enhance the credit and maybe reduce the blame culture? Well, first starting with individuals, what I say in the book is that it's not always possible to make things better. Sometimes you're working with a boss who's just an irredeemable blamer, an irredeemable credit hog, and there really may be nothing you can do about it. But I think people often come to that conclusion that they're helpless and powerless too quickly. So the first thing to do is to take a step back and look at the patterns over time. And again, to the point that you can't always make things better, what I tell my clients and what I tell my colleagues is you can't always make things better, but you can always make things worse. There's not a single workplace organization or organizational culture, no matter how toxic, that can't be made worse if, as Kathy was saying before, you act in a, in a rigid, threatened kind of way, you're only going to make things worse. You're going to create blame contagion or exacerbate blame contagion and just create more finger pointing and less problem solving. So if you take a step back and you're more strategic and you think about how am I reacting to credit and blame, how am I assigning credit and blame, how's it working? How's it working for me in this role at this time? Have I adapted? Am I reenacting old psychodramas and family patterns? Or am I looking at my current organizational challenges and opportunities with open eyes? And often there are things you can do. Uh, you can try to uh, be more nuanced and balanced in your own ways, in the, your, the, own way, the way you yourself uh, handle and assign credit and blame. Uh, you can be less impulsive, less emotional, and at times less irrational. So again, using emotional intelligence in terms of credit and blame to build alliances, to build relationships. Giving people the benefit of the doubt is another powerful thing you can do. Rather than assume that people have it in for you and, and are scapegoating you or blaming you, take some time before you come to that conclusion. Start out with positive expectations, and those can be self-fulfilling. That's great. I'm just thinking of what we were uh, just talking about earlier is about this idea of fear, failure to examine assumed reality. So on the individual level, you know, thinking about becoming aware of what, what they are thinking around credit or blame, and then you know really examine that to a little to a greater depth. Mm -hmm. So, what about leaders? What could what could leaders do to help create a better environment? Right. 
Well, they can themselves, first of all, set a positive example. So rather than being self-serving and taking credit themselves and blaming others, they can really be self-critical, self-reflective. And as Edgar Schein of MIT has said, if leaders themselves aren't willing to learn, grow, and adapt, it's very unlikely that they're going to be able to successfully lead an organization that needs to learn, grow, and adapt. Looking forward, uh, looking towards the future rather than the past, focusing on problems, uh, problem solutions rather than the problems themselves is important. Being adaptive and thinking about how you're assigning credit and blame and is it working in the current culture that you're operating in. And most importantly, for leaders is to really look at the systems and not just the people. As we were discussing and agreeing on earlier, it's very easy to be a cognitive miser to blame the individuals rather than the system because you as the leader have partial direct or indirect responsibility for the system. So if something goes wrong in the system, it's tempting to scapegoat an individual and, and claim and to even believe and to perceive that it was them who made things wrong. But if you take a broader view and look at the systems, you might think that there's something you could have done better or differently in order to avoid the problem. So getting people to not make the fundamental attribution error, to not being biased, to assigning credit and blame, not by how much you like people or how much they like you, but really based on merit, can be a powerful way that leaders can make organizations more adaptive. Yeah, that is well said. And uh, having worked with uh, with Edgar Schein myself, I know that that is a huge influence on on the work that we all do in the area of leadership development. Let me let me ask you: um, when somebody takes the inventory at creditandblame.com uh, and they get some feedback, uh, does the feedback direct them in any particular area of support? Uh, no. It just, it's just a feedback report. And if you want to see a sample report, www.creditandblame.com slash CBTA, which stands for Credit and Blame Type Assessment. And like the Hogan Development Survey, this breaks down how likely you are, particularly under stress, to be perceived as exemplifying one or more of these different dysfunctional types. But it's, the assessment was developed in partnership with the book, so if you get the assessment and read the book, there are some specific suggestions for how to deal with uh, circumstances if you're in one of those types or if you're working with someone who's in one of those types. Well, that's great, Ben. That's on like great resources, creditandblame.com. I think the other aspect that, when you talk, that you're talking about with leaders is for the leader really to understand their people and, and how do they individualize credit so that the person really feels it? And then also there's a whole skill set about, you know, when there is legitimate blame, how do, how do they do that in a way that the person isn't devastated by it? That's right. It has to be constructive. I never say that there shouldn't be blame in the workplace. There should be blame and there should be accountability. But what the book is about is how tempting it is to blame the wrong people for the wrong reasons in the wrong way at the wrong time. Well, Ben, this has been very, very enlightening. You know, both Kathy and I have the book. Hopefully our listeners will, will get it. Uh, I think for any leader out there, uh, it just gives you some very, very good things to ponder about, but then also some practical applications to move forward with. So we're at the end of our hour, and so thank you so much, Ben. Thank you very much. A credit to both of you for a great interview. <laughs> oh, I love it. I we love got it. Don't, don't forget to go to www.datnerconsulting.com and creditandblame.com to take your assessment. Relly, you want to close this out? Yes. And so you, I'm glad 
Ben, you gave us the credit, and there's no blame there. And so this is Leadership and Development News. Thanks for uh, tuning in to tune up your leadership development. I'm Dr. Rowley Nadler and Dr. Kathy Greenberg. Join us next week for another opportunity to be a star performer where happiness equals profit in your life. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.